Well, welcome everybody. Merry Christmas. My name is John, I'm the lead pastor. Thank you so much for coming on out today. Thank you for those who are tuning in online. Welcome, welcome. So today we are wrapping up our Christmas series that we've been calling At Just the Right Time. And the premise of this series, if it's your first time here today, the premise comes from something that Paul wrote in a letter to a group of Christians in an area of the world called Galatia. This little hidden tidbit about Christmas, he said this, but when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. And what we've been focusing on is this idea that Paul describes Christmas as happening when the time was right. That if things were going to go according to God's plans, Christmas had to happen exactly when it happened some 2020 years ago. That there was sort of a precision to the decision of God's plan to execute it at this time for his son to come and save the world from his sins. And since scripture says that it was just the right time, well, that means that it was just the right time for Mary. It was just the right time for Joseph. It was just the right time for the shepherds, as we spoke about last week. And with everything that we've endured this year in 2020, perhaps Christmas is happening at just the right time for us. And every single week, what we've been doing is taking a look at how God's plan for this world through his son, Jesus Christ, in that birth story, how that impacted, shall we say those folks who were involved in the birth of his son, Jesus. And we talked about Mary week one. Like I said, we talked about the shepherds last week. And that's just a great story, those shepherds. And if you didn't get a chance to be with us, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. Not what I said was great, but just that story of, of what it means to be a shepherd during that time and how God used men like that. But as we wrap up this series, what I want to do today is I want to take a look at how God's plan for this world impacted the Magi, otherwise known as the wise men, King Herod, and the Jewish priests. Because these three groups, shall we say, they all received the same Christmas message. They, they all got the same news. They all got the same memo that Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, was born. And yet, even though they all heard the same news, their reaction to that news was very different. I mean, the way that they responded to that news was wildly different. And so what I want to do today is I want to examine their three responses. And my hope is that we together can do a little bit of soul searching, if you will, to sort of assess what our response and our reaction is to the, the Christmas story, to the, to the message of Jesus. Because I believe that if we can figure out what our response is, it can tell us a lot about our relationship with God. Do we have a relationship? I mean, does it even exist? Um, is our relationship with God thriving and, and firing on all cylinders? Or perhaps maybe our relationship has gone a little stale. Now, if you've been here before, you know that I kind of like to go verse by verse and just pull some things out. Well, today the story is so good and it's written in such a way that I want to read to you the whole story. It's 12 verses. I want to read to you the whole story and then we're going to circle back and, and see what we can see. So Matthew begins this birth narrative in chapter two and we'll be reading verses one through 12. It begins like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, that's the wise men, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Just so we know, the reason that Jerusalem was troubled by this news is because Herod was troubled. And if Herod's troubled, that's a problem for everybody. So it continues. Gathering together all the chief priests, that's our Jewish priests, and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now, after hearing the king, they went on their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Okay, so we've got the Magi. We got King Herod. We have have the Jewish priests. Each of these groups received the same exact news. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but if you haven't, I'll show you. They all had different reactions, very different reactions. Now, for some of them, the news of Jesus, Christmas, it's inspiring. It was for the Magi. So who, who are these Magi? Let's talk about them for a second. So we know a couple of things about these Magi. Number one, we know they're from Persia. All right, now Persia is about 900 miles away from Bethlehem. So just to kind of give you a geographical perspective as to how far 900 miles is, um, Weston is 900 miles away from Fort Lauderdale, okay? So when you make it out to university, you got about another 800 miles to go, all right? No, but in reality, Richmond, Virginia is roughly 900 miles from downtown Fort Lauderdale. We know that the Magi were involved in magic. That's where the term magic comes from, Magi. So in some level, they were dabbling in the occult. We know that they were priests in their own sort of Persian Babylonian religion. We know they were scholars, but most famously, they were astronomers. These were men who studied the stars, the star that figures so prominently in this story. And so a great question to ask is, how did the Magi know this star pointed to the Messiah? Or perhaps even a better question to ask is, why do these Persians who are not Jewish, why do they even know what a Messiah is? I mean, they're from a completely different part of the world, 900 miles away, a different religion entirely. Why do they have any clue about this Jewish Messiah? Well, theologians believe that at some point in the past, these Persians came in contact with Jewish captives. Now, in fact, Scripture tells us this. We have a record. So remember in the summertime when we were doing our series BC, 
And we spent a week looking at Daniel. Remember the famous story, Daniel and the lion's den? Well, 500 years before the birth of Jesus, Daniel and his Jewish buddies and their families, they get captured by the Babylonian Empire, by the Persians. And they get brought back into Persia. Now, while Daniel was there, he proved himself to be a very capable leader. And the king of Persia took note of this and elevated Daniel within the Persian government. And in Daniel chapter 2, verses 48, we learn this. Then the king, the Persian king, appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. That's our connection to the story. 500 years earlier, Daniel, this Jewish man, was put over what would you know, basically be a sort of a cadre of, of wise men, some wise men academy in the Persian Empire. Now, furthermore, we know something else. The angel Gabriel, who went to Mary and told her that she would conceive, the same angel who went to Joseph and said, you're, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus and he's going to save his people from his sins, the same angel that most likely went to the shepherds, that angel Gabriel, 500 years earlier, went to Daniel and gave Daniel a tremendous amount of prophecy about the coming Messiah. And we just have to assume that Daniel spread this information about the Messiah to his wise men that he was in control over. What the, what the Messiah would be, where he'd come from, where he'd be born, and what to look for. So what Daniel was doing in the lives of these wise men is he was planting a seed. And for many of us, someone planted a seed in our lives about Jesus. Maybe it was a family member or a friend, perhaps he was a coworker, but someone began to talk to you about this guy, Jesus. And if we're being honest, a lot of times when people tell us about Jesus, it's just information. You know, it's just kind of data and maybe you file it away or you don't really pay too much attention to it. But all of a sudden, one day you saw a star, so to speak. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it clicked. Maybe you were reading the Bible and, and it just made sense. Or maybe you were, you were listening to a song and, and all of a sudden it just, it became very clear. It was though the, the pieces of the puzzle came together and you saw Jesus. Now, you didn't fully understand, but you stepped out in faith to learn more, to try to figure out exactly who this person of Jesus is that your friend or your family, your coworkers have been trying to teach you about all of this time. That's what the wise men did. For 500 years, this prophecy about a Messiah had been passed around and spoken about in the Wise Man Academy. And all of a sudden, well, would you look at that? It's the star that Daniel had told us about. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but tomorrow, for the first time in 800 years, the Christmas star will be visible when Jupiter and Saturn perfectly aligned. And when the Magi saw this star that presumably Daniel taught them about, they journeyed 900 miles to go see that Messiah. They left behind their homes. 
They left behind their families. I mean, they risked it all to go see Jesus. And when they finally got there, Scripture says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I love the clunkiness of the wording here because the English translators, this is the best that they could do to capture the the words that would describe the excitement that these magi felt when they saw the Messiah. I mean, they were ecstatic. And why wouldn't they be? Prophecy had been fulfilled in their lifetime. God had proven himself to be real. This Messiah had arrived. I mean, the one that they had heard about for almost 500 years, the one, the one that would reconcile man with God, he is here. And so the message of Christmas inspired these men. It invigorated these men, and it drove them to worship Jesus. But for some, the news of Jesus, Christmas, if you will, is troubling. It was for Herod. Because you got these magi showing up out of nowhere. Rich guys, presumably, smart men. They come out of nowhere from a different country, very far away. And they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why? I mean, what... What's so troubling about this news? What is so troubling about a baby Jesus being bored? Well, Herod is a smart guy. And Herod knows that Jesus represents a challenge, okay? If Herod, he wasn't just a king, the Romans made him king. And the Romans gave him the title King of the Jews. And he loved that title. And he protected that title at all costs. He defended that title, King of the Jews. We even have records that he killed his wife and children because he suspected them of treason. So all of a sudden, you got these wise men from a different country, a neighboring country, a powerful country, showing up looking for the new King of the Jews. That's a problem. That's an issue. See, Herod knew that for Jesus to reign, he'd have to be deposed because you can't have two kings. And if Jesus were to be king, then Herod can't be. If Jesus were to rule, Herod can't rule. See, where Herod is struggling with Jesus is at a sort of political level. I think it's also where we struggle at a, at a spiritual level. Because scripture is very clear. Jesus wants to be king in our life. But in order for Jesus to have control... We must give up control. We don't like doing that. That's not something that we're really interested in doing a lot of times because we want to be the ones who decides what's good for me. I'll decide how I spend my days. I'll, I'll decide how I live my life. Thank you very much. But as Christians, we like to think that we've let Jesus be in control of our life. No, I've, I've, fully submitted my life. I have surrendered to Jesus Christ. You know, we'll use the analogy. My, my life is, is like a home. I, I've opened my heart up to Jesus. He has access to every room in my house. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up to your house and he walks in the front door and he makes a beeline to the one door that seems to be closed. And he goes, what's going on here? Why is this, why is this locked? And we kind of go, well, well hold on. Uh, you've 
Listen, I have submitted my life to you, Jesus. You have access to every room in my house, but here, um, I've got control, you know, as to what goes on behind this door. Let's be honest, Christians. We all have that one room that's locked to God. And what's behind that locked door is different for everybody. Some of us keep our finances behind that door. Others of us keep our dating life behind that door. Maybe you keep your worries behind that door. We each have this room that's locked that we're not either willing or ready to give God control over. Because that's a little troubling. See, what we don't find troubling is Baby Jesus. We love baby Jesus, right? Baby Jesus is cute. I mean, in Hollywood, you can pray to baby Jesus and we all laugh. Oh, that's really funny, right? Baby Jesus means Christmas is here. We get to sing Christmas songs. We put up the tree. We string the lights. Gifts are coming pretty soon. We love the idea of Jesus sort of being our cosmic concierge, as we've said here before. Just some guy in the sky we can fire off requests to. Hey, Jesus, I need this. Can you do this for me? Jesus, I need that. Hey, listen, times have been tough. I need a job. Can you help me find a job? I have a family member who's sick. Jesus, can, can, you, can you heal my family member? And he answers because he loves to answer our prayers. He's our heavenly father. But when King Jesus shows up and says things like, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me, we lose our minds. We don't like that. How dare you, Jesus? Who do you think you are to say that you are the only way to get to God? And we try to shut that down. We try to shut it down by sort of casting doubt on who Jesus is. Yeah, listen, Jesus, great man, great leader, phenomenal teacher. I'll even give you a prophet, but... God? Uh -uh. No, sorry. It's not God. Come on. Or we might call Jesus bigoted. His teachings? Mm, a little old-fashioned, right? A little, a little outdated. It might be good, but it's for a different time. They're divisive. Or maybe we try to just outlaw it. Get it out of the schools. Get it out of the workplace. Keep them to yourself. Look at Herod's attempt to shut Jesus down. In verse 16, it says, Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. You read a verse like this, and you don't see this on any Hallmark Christmas card, okay? You, I mean, we have completely whitewashed the Christmas story. Because we sing songs like Silent Night, and it's a great song, but there was bloodshed in the streets. Now, granted, Herod's response to the message of Christmas was extreme. But it does show that for some, Jesus is troubling. He's a threat to your way of life. Now, the last group that I want to look at is the Jewish priests. Okay, these folks that amount to playing the smallest role in the entire Christmas narrative. However, if you're a Christian in the room, I just firmly believe that 
this is the group that we actually need to pay the closest attention to. Because for the Jewish priests, Christmas is... Eh. I mean, I, I believe the Christmas message, absolutely. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'm just mm, not feeling it. I mean, if the Magi spiritual life and spiritual journey could be described as being on fire, these Jewish priests could best be described as being lukewarm, right? unmotivated. Because you got the Magi, they show up, they're asking, where is the Messiah? And Herod wants to get to the bottom of it. So it says, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. So Herod's in his palace. Wise men show up and he goes, hey, get me the Jewish priests. Would you pull them in here real quick? And he gets some lines up and he goes, all right, let me ask you a couple of questions. You're Jewish, right? Yes. Okay. You've been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years. Is this correct? This is correct. Well, can you tell me where he is? It's in Bethlehem. About six miles south of here. And then they tell Herod, there's actually a, uh, a prophecy about the coming Messiah, and it's 700 years old. They said, and you Bethlehem, that's where he is. And you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They got this memorized. They didn't have to whip out scripture. They were able to rattle this off on the spot. But what do they do with this information? What impact is this scripture having in their life? Does it, does it challenge them to get up and go to Bethlehem to see the Messiah? No. They don't even get off the couch. They've got a tremendous amount of head knowledge, but it's just, it's not going on down here right now for them. And honestly, it makes me wonder how many of us, let's be real, how many of us are like this? I mean, do we truly believe the Bible? Or do we just have it memorized? I mean, do we actually believe that God answers prayers? Do we honestly and truly believe that, that God heals, that God is in control of our lives and everything that happens? I mean, have God's promises changed our lives in any demonstrable way? Do the Holy Scriptures drive us to find God? Do they drive us to live selflessly for other people? Or are they simply verses that we quote to others? Are you having a bad day? Romans 8.28. You see, it's possible, and I, and I believe this is the case with the Jewish priests, it's possible to lose your passion for God. And I don't know if it's that we just sort of, you know, get used to God. I don't know if we just you know, take Jesus for granted. It could be the circumstances in our lives. I mean, it could be coronavirus, whatever. But if we don't continually fan the flames of our faith, that fire that we had for God can go out. Jesus was once speaking to a group of Christians and he said this, but I have this complaint against you. That's never what you want to hear Jesus say. 
you don't love me or each other as you did at first. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but somewhere along the way, it just seems like you've lost your excitement. It seems like you've, you've lost the joy of your salvation. Because think about these Jewish priests. They knew the Messiah was six miles away. And they didn't go to him. And I just imagine Herod standing there in that, in that court saying, well, you guys, I mean, are you guys going to go? Because you've been waiting for hundreds of years and he's here. Are, are you going to go see him? Well, Herod, here's the thing. Traffic is just brutal this time of year. I mean, here, listen, I mean, they close the off-ramp to get the brew. Now you got to do this thing and loop around. Ooh, it's a nightmare. Parking by that stable, don't even ask. Listen, Herod, work this week. My boss, I'm just, I don't, I don't have the headspace for that right now. You know what? The game is on. So next week, when it's more convenient, we're going to go visit the Messiah. Meanwhile, the Magi walked 900 miles. And when they got there, they put their faces into the ground, they worshiped at his feet, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I got to be honest with you, when I was reading this this week, I was convicted. Because how many of us would, would look at our spiritual life and admit, at least privately, okay, that we've become a little lackadaisical when it comes to, you know, reading the Bible or prayer or sharing our faith or serving other people. Eh, six miles. I'll get to this when I have time. It's almost like God has become an obligation. But let's get real, right? Because we're all friends here. Imagine if, hypothetically, right? We're not actually going to do this. But imagine if we put a percentage of the effort into our relationship with Jesus Christ as we do the gym. Or our careers. Or social media. Or planning our vacations. Think of the hours we put into these activities. And I don't mean every year. I mean every day for some of us. Think of the excitement we have. Well, I don't know who's excited about this, but think about the excitement we have for this. We, we do whatever we can to excel at these things. We, 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 we read blogs about these things. We'll go to conferences about these things to make sure that these things are top-notch in our lives. But when it comes to prayer, when it comes to actually just opening up the scripture and reading, six miles. Something's got to change. So what if this year, 
in 2020. Let's not wait till 2021. What if this year we began to live our lives like Christmas is the best news we've ever heard? Because it truly is. I mean, 2020 years ago, the time was just right for God to send his son to be born of a woman to save us from our sins. That should you say yes to Jesus, you have been made right with the creator of the world. You have been made right with your heavenly father. There is no greater news than that. I mean, imagine what this church would look like. Imagine what your families would look like, or imagine what this city or this country or this world would look like if we, as Christians, pursued our relationship with God like the Magi, if we rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So as 2020 comes to a close and we look back over this wild year, maybe we do start to realize that Christmas is coming at just the right time. Now for some of you here today, maybe it's just the right time for you to take a leap of faith. Maybe you're here today, or you're watching online, or you're listening in the future, and you've been feeling what I'll call that sort of pull towards God. Maybe someone you know has been planting seeds of faith in your life, and they're starting to make sense a little bit. Now, it's still very much a foreign concept to you, but it's, the picture is beginning beginning to become a little clearer. I would challenge you today or this season, I mean, I wouldn't wait, but I would challenge you to jump in with both feet. Say yes to Jesus. Just take one step to God and he will run to you, the scripture tells us. It can change your life. Now, for those of you who are Christians in the room, maybe today's message made you feel mm, a touch uncomfortable. It did to me. Maybe you related to the priests a little more than you'd like to admit. Maybe for you, it's just the right time to rediscover your relationship with God. Maybe you've allowed your joy to dwindle. Maybe, maybe, maybe you allowed that sort of spark that you had for God to, to kind of die out. Maybe, maybe COVID knocked you off your routine with Jesus. That's okay, right? You're humans. It happens. Trust me. You're not alone. You're not alone. But let's just make sure that we don't stray too far for too long from our first love, Jesus Christ. Let's refuse to take God for granted. Let's remember the joy of Christmas. Let me pray for you. Dear Holy Father, I want to thank you that you've sustained each and every single one of us here today through this year. I want to thank you that you sustained this church through this year. 
Lord, if there are folks here today that don't know your son Jesus in that personal way, I pray that today might be the day they take that leap of faith and they just say, I don't understand it all, but I want to. I pray, Lord, that the picture of Jesus would come clear to them in their mind, that their lives would be changed forever. And Lord, for those of us in this room who have said yes to Jesus, who who would call ourselves followers of yours, Christians, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would invigorate our faith. I pray, Lord, that you would breathe fresh life, fresh breath into our walk with you. And Lord, even though we've got a lot on our plates right now, I pray that the message of Christmas would cause us to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. We place all of these requests in Jesus' name. Amen.